0: love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we are doing a study this month on serving, and what we're calling our study is the mind of a servant. What does a servant look like? And more specifically, what does the mind of a servant look like? And two weeks ago, let me do a quick little review, just in case you don't remember. Uh, we looked at what it's like to think like Christ. If you remember, we were in Philippians 2. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. Philippians chapter two, verses four through eight, give us what the mind of Christ looks like. And in verse four of Philippians two, it says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that's not, we we saw, that's not in a covetous way or a jealous way. That's rather than looking at ourselves and, and, and worrying about what we want and we desire, it's looking at others and what other people need and what other people desire. And it says in verse five, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, he says, hey, let this mind that I'm gonna tell you about here be in you that was also in Christ. Let you have the same mind that Christ had. Well, what was the mind of Christ? Verse six, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Christ was, I'm not just gonna sit in heaven and watch my creation that I created, that I love, created in my image, but is now broken because of sin, doomed to an eternity, separated from me because of sin. I'm not just gonna sit here and let that happen. No, he came to the earth in the form of a human, in the form of his own creation, and he came and it says that he was being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so what we saw last, or two weeks ago, rather, two different things. We saw the, what is the direction of your eyes. What are you looking at? Are you looking up or are you looking down? That's from verse four. Are, are we looking at, down at ourselves and at our own things or is the direction of our eyes up looking out at everyone else and what they need? Because the mind of a servant knows where their eyes are looking. Your eyes, where they're looking, determines where you go and what you do. And then number two, we saw the contents of our mind. And that's what we saw with Christ. We saw um, what we're thinking about. So we had what you're looking at and then what you're thinking about. We saw humility versus pride. Christ was humble. He wasn't prideful. That's why he came to the earth. He was uh, obedient instead of defiant. And he was self-sacrificial. He didn't care about self-gratification. He cared about self-sacrifice. He gave himself on the cross for us. So if we're gonna have the mind of a servant, we must have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is obedience, it's humility, it's uh, self-sacrifice. It's looking on the needs of others rather than the needs of self. That's what the mind of Christ is. That's what the mind of a servant is. So once you get your mind right, your actions can follow. Two weeks ago, we looked at what it looks like to think like Christ, and tonight we're going to look at what it looks like to act like Christ. But you've got to understand this. You can't just start by doing something and hope that it's going to click. I mean, you can. You can do some things, and you can do some things really good. You know, there's uh, people who are not Christians over in Africa trying to provide water to people as a humanitarian effort. That's a good thing. Great job. But that that doesn't mean that you're serving as Christ would serve. You're not giving those people any hope. You're just temporarily fixing a physical issue, a physical infirmity. The only way to serve like Christ is to give the hope of the gospel through the spiritual power that he provides. And so, yes, you can fake it till you make it for a little while. You can do some good things. You can do some good deeds. But But if your mind isn't right, then it's not real, and it won't stick. And it's not going to have true power, not the power to transform, not the power to change lives. So if you get your mind right, your actions will follow. That's always how it is. If you change your mind, your actions will follow. Changing your mind, that's repentance, right? When you got saved, did you start doing things right or did you change your mind? No, you repented. You got right with Christ. You said, Christ, I'm a sinner, You died for me. Lord, come into my life and save me. Be my Lord. I give my life to you. And when you did that, when you changed your mind, then your actions start to follow. That's when you you don't have to clean yourself up for God. You don't have to get yourself good enough for God. You can never be good enough for God. You don't have to get yourself into a position where God will accept you. You could never do that. What you do is you submit to what he tells you to do. You change your mind about his word and who he is and who you are. And then once you change your mind, then your actions follow. See how that works? And so if we wanna be like Christ, if we wanna be like Christ in the fact that he is a servant and have the mind of Christ and have the mind of a servant, we get our mind right and then our actions will follow. It doesn't mean you won't have to try. It doesn't mean you don't have to physically do things. But if you don't get your mind right, well, the actions will only be temporary. They won't be permanent. They won't be a habit. Okay, so we get our mind right, then the actions, and it becomes habitual. If we get the mind of Christ into our mind and let his truth change our thoughts, then our actions will change. So what does it look like to act like Christ? Well, tonight we're gonna be in Mark chapter 10, is is where our main passage is at, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. I want to read the whole thing, see the story, and then break it down, okay? Because this story is going to be, we're going to see Christ interacting with his disciples, specifically two of them, James and John, okay? So look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35, if you've got your Bible out. If not, we've got it up on the screen. Starting in verse 35, it says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, Jesus, saying, Master, Notice this, by the way, because we're going to get into this verse in a second. They came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Oh, And he said unto them, what would, ye do, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, "Ye you know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. Jesus said unto him, unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the 10 heard it, the other disciples, these were two of Christ's 12 disciples. So when the other 10 heard this, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Well, yeah, a little bit selfish there, isn't it? But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto him, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to break down this passage because what we're going to see here is two opposing mindsets that result in completely opposite ways of living. Okay? Actions follow thinking. And so what we're gonna see is two different mindsets, two different desires that lead to two different ways of living, two different sets of actions. Okay? And the first type of desire is carnal desires. A carnal desire, number one. What does carnal mean? Carnal just means fleshly. It's the opposite of spiritual, It's the opposite of what Christ wants you to be. It's the opposite of how Christ wants you to think. It's carnal. It's fleshly. It's the opposite of spiritual. Look at verse 35 again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus and they said, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Stop right there. Do you see the problem? Two of Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Master, We want you to do for us whatever we desire. Well, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Don't you think that that's a bit contradictory to come up and say, Master, what's a master? Someone that you serve. Master, let me tell you what you're going to do for me. That's a bit contradictory. That's an oxymoron. Not to mention, that's the wrong mindset when you come to Christ. And by the way, these two are his disciples. These aren't just random lost people. These are his followers coming to Jesus and saying, listen, I want you to do whatever I want you to do. What do you think about that? My goodness, how awful. I mean, that's the wrong mindset. We, as Christians, we're the followers of Christ, and we need to be careful not to fall into this mindset that these disciples were in, that Christ saved me so that he can serve me. We have to be careful about that. Christ did not save you, Christian, so that he can serve you. No, Christ saved you so that you can serve him and so that you can serve others. That's what we saw two weeks ago, right? What a contradiction, what an error to cry, master, do as I say. Yet we do it all the time, practically, we do it all the time. We may not say those words. James and John said the words. We may not say those words. But yet, how many, how many of us would say that we're Christians, that we gave our life to Christ, that we cried out to him to save us, and that yet we go through our lives and just kind of demand things of him? Like Jesus is our little genie in a bottle that we just kind of rub whenever we need something. You know, we throw up prayers like, oh God, you know, I need this, or, you know, I didn't study for this test, will you help me out, or... Oh, God, would you really, you know, I really want this girl to like me. Anyone ever throw up that prayer? Ugh. God, would you like that? I really want this boy to like me. And it's like, what, is Jesus just your genie in a bottle? Master, I would that you should do whatever I desire. I got to be careful. What are you looking at? Down or up, right? Are you looking at you or are you looking at others? You know what this is called? This is called pride. This is called Entitlement. And it's a carnal desire. It's a carnal desire. That's what these disciples had. And you know what? Entitlement, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. But you know, the Bible backs me up here. Entitlement is really, really rampant in today's culture. We saw pride in our study two weeks ago with Christ. Pride and humility. So let's just look at that really quick. James 4 verse 6 tells us that God gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. God resists the prideful and the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, verse 10 of James 4, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. When you humble yourself, which means make yourself low, proud means make yourself higher than you are. When you make yourself low and humble yourself, the Lord lifts you up. So pride is the opposite of what God wants you to be. And this is what these disciples were being. They were being prideful. They wanted something that wasn't theirs. We'll see that in a minute. But notice the entitlement. I want you to notice that because our culture today has a nasty, nasty problem with feeling entitled to everything. You know what entitlement is? It's this false sense that I deserve everything. And I have the right to have whatever I want. That is entitlement. Self-entitlement. And the world has always had a problem with it, but it becomes even more rampant today, especially in America, where everything has become in 2018 instant. Internet is fast. The internet exists, by the way. 20 years ago, it didn't. The internet exists. Everything is instant. I can do one-click shopping on Amazon, and in a couple of years, it'll deliver to my door in less than 24 hours by a drone. Everything is right now. Right now, I deserve it. And, and when you have everything right now, You get this sense of entitlement that not only is it available, but I deserve it. I have the right to that. That's entitlement. That's what these guys had before the internet. Crazy thing. (laughs) That's what James and John were asking when they said, God, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And so today we see that manifest in different ways because a feeling or a mindset when you think this way, and you have a mindset of entitlement, it manifests and it leads to acting in different ways. So let me throw some out at you. You know, I deserve this new video game, mom and dad. You may not say it that way, but maybe we get that mindset. I am entitled to this new Fortnite skin. Okay, video games are really easy to pick on, so let's get away from that. How about this? Girls, you ever pulled this? Mom and dad, I deserve a date. I'm old enough. My friend's date girls I'm entitled to go to prom a senior boy asked me doesn't matter that he's a bum and a loser <laughs> huh? I deserve a smartphone that you pay for mom and dad I'm entitled to unlimited data in texting I deserve Spotify premium I deserve to binge watch Netflix after a hard day of school any of these sound familiar maybe we don't say them out loud but do you ever think this In fact, I have to have the fastest internet. Our internet is so slow. Everyone else has fast internet. We deserve, deserve fast internet. I deserve to have all the shows that I want immediately available to me at no cost. What? And how about this? Do you ever get to the point where something that you use, whether it's Xbox Live or Hulu or Netflix or whatever service you use, it goes down for a minute, God forbid, It goes down for a minute, and then all of a sudden we get angry. We're outraged. How dare they not fix this issue immediately? I deserve to be entertained at all times. This is the mindset of the world that we're in, and we fall into it. We fall into it. I'm entitled to have the newest iPhone or the newest Samsung. I deserve to drive the newest car. Okay, so this is what happens when this mindset has been brought to you by the world your entire childhood because you grow up to be entitled adults. And the only thing worse than entitled teenagers are entitled adults, let me tell you. Because you know what happens is you grow up and you're an adult who can't afford this car, but I deserve that car. I can't afford that, but you know what? The person across the street has it and I deserve it, so we'll just get a loan. It'll be fine. I'll pay it off in seven to 10 years. I think they have like seven-year car loans now. It's ridiculous you know what, we, I deserve this house. I deserve this, I, I can't afford that house, but I can take a loan and we'll pay it off in 30 years and I, I deserve that house. They have one, I deserve it. Let's take it a step further because adults become entitled after years of being entitled and then we start to think that I'm entitled to free things that I don't want to work for I'm entitled to free this and free that and free food and free health care and free living so that I can spend my money on the things that I want rather than what I need I deserve it in fact it's my right serve me any of this sound familiar does this look like the world that we live in? Anybody don't raise your hand but anybody guilty? I think we're all guilty of some of these things. You know, that is the opposite of how Christ thinks. That is pride, that's entitlement. It's it's selfish is what it is. It's the opposite of how Christ thought and how he acted. And if we want to be servants like Christ, we need to get this self-entitled way of thinking out of our heads. We have to, guys. We have to identify it. We got to get rid of it because it's not Christ-like. But nevertheless, Christ actually entertains their question. Look, look in verse 36. Rather than just saying, uh, come again? H- have you ever said something to your mom and dad because you were angry or frustrated with them and they just look at you like, uh, you want to try that again? And you're just like, oh, my bad. Hey, you, Christ totally would have been fine with not even answering their question. Uh, you want to rephrase that? <laughs> you want to try that one again bud but no he says it, look at this he said unto them well what would ye that i should do for you <laughs> oh i would be more scared of that answer if, like if you if you asked your mom and dad or, or said something snarky to them and they just played into it i would be more scared of that because what are what are they planning on doing here verse 37 they said unto him Grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand And the other on thy left hand in thy glory So what's their desire that stems from pride and entitlement? Well it's power and it's authority It's what man constantly seeks for Power and authority That's the rub They want the big chair They want to sit right beside Jesus In seats of authority When he comes in his kingdom And sets up his kingdom on this earth They want to sit on his left hand And on his right hand Hey, Jesus, they say, I know you love everybody, and I know you love these other 10 disciples here, but can you put me first in line? Can, can we be in charge? Can we, can we just, you know, get dibs on being on the left and the right hand? Is, is that cool? Yeah, you gotta be careful with that because that selfish, prideful desire for authority, it's not only carnal, it's actually satanic. It's satanic. You guys know the story of Lucifer? You guys know who Lucifer is? Lucifer, before he was Satan, before his fall, was, Jesus, was God's light bearer. He was the, the, the cherub that covereth. He would lead the angels in worship of God. He was his right hand man and he fell in sin and he became Satan and the devil. You know how that happened? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 14, check it out. Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12. It says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Why? Why, why did he fall? Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart. He didn't say it with his mouth. He said it with his heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You know what Satan's issue was? You know what his sin was that got him cast out of heaven? Pride. He desired power that wasn't his. He desired position That wasn't his. He desired authority that wasn't his. He wanted to be like God. He didn't just want to serve God, he wanted to be like the Most High. These, if you count how many times he says, I will, in these verses, it's five times, and people often refer to him as Satan or Lucifer's five I wills. Because five times he says, I will, I want to be, my will is my desire. I will this to happen. I desire for this to be so. And he reveals that he was desiring God's authority. And James and John were tiptoeing close to this satanic line because their desires, their wills, if you will, caused them to act selfishly and entitled and prideful. Look at verse 38, back to Mark 10. Jesus' reaction. We aren't gonna spend a ton of time diving into this because we could for a while, but we'll just read it again. Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask, can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Jesus is speaking of the judgment that he's going to endure on the cross to die for the sins of the world. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. You, you know why I get to sit where I get to sit because of what I'm going to do. He doesn't actually tell them. He just alludes to it. He foreshadows. And you know, it's, it's proof that they didn't understand because in verse 39, they said unto him, we can. And, and he says, you know what? You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And the. Ba- he actually says, you know what, you're, you're gonna die too for your faith. He basically tells them, yeah, yeah, you're gonna be martyrs. You're, you're gonna do that. But, verse 40, to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. It's given to them to whom it is prepared. So he's saying, that power and that authority is not for you. It's for someone else to sit on my left hand and my right hand. And that's a fun other Bible study that we could do sometime. And when the ten heard it, they were displeased with James and John. But look at verse 42. This is what I want to focus on, the second half of our study. Verse 42, Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule, remember we just, in our last series in October, we talked about authority, those who rule, people in government, people in power, uh, parents, anyone that's under God's delegated system of authority, they that rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Jesus says that Gentiles, who are Gentiles? Anyone? Lost people, the world, not Jews. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, and there's the church in the Bible. And Jews are one thing. Gentiles are lost people that aren't Jews, and the church are people who are saved by faith. They could be Jews or Gentiles. So Gentiles are lost people. And he says, you know that lost people think and act like this. Like what? They, they want authority. They want power. They want to rule over people. They exercise lordship over people. They exercise authority Over people and he says you know what That's carnal that's how the world Thinks that's how lost people Think and act How should Christians act Well we saw the carnal desire Now let's see the Christ like desire Number two the Christ like desire This is how lost people act That's how lost people think Christ says Verse 43 But so shall it not be among you So shall it not be among you Don't be like that That's how the lost world is But whosoever will be great among you Shall be your minister Whosoever of you will be the chiefest Shall be servant of all For even the son of man Came not to be ministered unto But to minister And to give his life a ransom for many He says this is not going to be like it Among you guys that's how the lost world acts. That's, that's what they seek. They desire position and power that's not theirs because they want to rule over everybody, James and John. That's not how we're gonna act. That's not how disciples and followers of Christ act. He says, as a matter of fact, whosoever of you will be great, whosoever of you wants to be number one, you know what you're gonna be? You're gonna be minister. You're gonna be a servant to people. And if you're gonna be the chiefest, you'll be servant of all. Because the opposite of entitlement Is being selfless That's on your study sheet The opposite of entitlement Is being selfless That's what a Christ-like desire Looks like It's selflessness It's the let this mind be in you That was also in Christ Jesus That we saw two weeks ago It's seeking to serve others Instead of yourself It's seeking others The advancement of others Rather than our own advancement See the world desires everyone to serve them and to be in a place of power and authority, but Christians, we should desire to serve everyone else and to be a servant of all. Well, the world says, well, that's backwards. If you act like that, the world's going to step all over you, right? You got to get what's yours and tackle people on Black Friday to get what you deserve. You got to step on top of people and push the weak aside to get promoted in your workplace, You guys are getting old enough to where you're going to start getting real jobs, not just like fast food jobs, but you can even see it in fast food. If you want to be promoted and work your way up the totem pole and up the ladder, sometimes people will just encourage you to step on others. The weakest link, well, they're the weakest link anyway, just step on them to get to where you want to be. That's how the world acts. That's how lost people act. It's not how Christians are supposed to act. That's the world's view Christ says in my economy If you want to be first You voluntarily make yourself last See how that works And the world looks at you And says you're crazy He says nope I'm a Christian (laughs) Because that's how Christ was Philippians chapter 2 Verses 4 through 8 Right He humbly submitted himself To the death of the cross He stepped out of heaven He became In the likeness of man And he died on a cross Even though he deserved To be a king That's crazy not me desiring to serve other people. What Jesus did for me is crazy. I don't deserve that. The least I can do is try to be like him and to serve others. It's just being selfless. It's being a minister. What do you mean a minister? Like a preacher? No, what is what's the definition of ministry? You guys know this. It's meeting the needs of others in love. It's serving. That's all it is. So he says, if you want to be greatest, be a minister. It means be a servant. If you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, be a servant. Are you a servant or are you selfish? Because one's carnal and one's Christ-like. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Another Christ-like desire other than being selfless is is being giving. It's being giving. Son of Man didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what entitled people don't do? You know what selfish people don't do? They don't give. They don't give. You know why? Because you don't get rich in this world by giving your money and giving your stuff away. But someone who is rich in Christ is a giver because our God is a giver. Christ came to this earth and he gave the ultimate present. Next week is December already. Crazy. We're gonna be getting into our, our Christmas series next week. And the, the theme of Christmas is that God is a giver, that he gave the ultimate gift, James 117, every good and gift, or every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. John 3, 16, for crying out loud. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He gave, free of charge. His only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our God is a giver, Christian. If we're gonna be servants, if we're gonna have the mind of Christ and have the mind of a servant, we ought to be givers. Not entitled, not prideful. 2 Corinthians 9.7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, they taught me a song when I, I'm not going to sing it for you, but when I was in the little kids over there, when I was a little kid, they taught me a song that God loves a cheerful giver who gives from the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to give because it's your necessity or because God tells you to or because it's your responsibility. He wants you to give because Christ loved you and he gave his son for you and the least you can do is give to others. That's what he wants. Acts 20 and verse 35, did you know that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive? Well, of course you know that. You've been in church for a little while. I didn't say, did you know that? Do you believe that? I know that you know God said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive? You guys don't have a whole lot of money right now. You know, it's a lot harder to give when you don't have a lot of money. It's really easy to give out of excess. When you've got a, let's just say you get to the point, I know as a teenager, this is a lot of, well, it's a lot of money to me. Let's say you got $1,000, $2,000 in the bank. You're like, I just got a whole bunch of cash back in the, In the bank. You know, it's really easy to give 50 bucks to somebody when you got a thousand bucks in the bank. Try giving 50 bucks to somebody when you got 75 bucks in the bank. (laughs) Try giving 50 bucks to somebody because they need it more than you, but you still kind of need it. We give because Christ gave, we give because we're servants. And you know what? You can't outgive God. I tell you that on the authority of the Bible and I tell you that out of experience. You can't outgive God. If you become a giver, and openly seek to give to others in need and lift your eyes from looking down at you and looking up at others and seeking to give, not so that you can post a selfie on Facebook of, well, look at me give to this homeless guy. Screw that guy. I hate those. I hate those videos of people saying, look at this reaction of this homeless guy as I give him money and selfie it. You freaking entitled narcissist. I hate that crap, man. I hate it. You know the best givers? The best givers don't show it. The best givers don't put their name on it. The best givers don't post it on freaking Facebook. That's how you be a giver. I'm sorry I got riled up there. I hate how this world has turned something as perfect as giving, something that God created to set you apart from everyone because it's like him, and they've mocked it. They've made it something to make themselves puffed up with pride. How do you make giving prideful? The world has screwed it up. The enemy has figured out a way to make giving narcissistic, unreal. But it is more blessed to give than to receive if you do it the right way, and if you have the right mindset, and if you have the mind of Christ. Because you know know why? Because you see God's provision. Because when you give out of your need and not out of your excess, you see God provide for you because you're obeying what he has told you to do. And so it's more blessed because you literally see the blessings of God as he provides for you as you provide for others. And it's an amazing thing. And you don't need likes or retweets to see it. Teenager, we can't be entitled. We can't be selfish. We can't be prideful people because that is how the world acts. It's like Christ said, that's how the Gentiles act. Don't let it so be named among you and you know what? There's people, and they might not post it on Facebook. They'll, they'll give, though, to charitable causes because they'll get a tax write-off from it, or they might get good PR from it. That's not real giving, though. Real giving is giving when nobody's looking because it's what you're supposed to do and because it's the right thing. We have to stand out, Christians. We gotta be different because you weren't saved to be served. Christ saved you so that you could serve others to be a servant of all, and man, if you do that, Christ says, you're first in my book. You're first in my kingdom. If you willingly put yourself lower than others, Christ says, I'll lift you up. I'll lift you up. I'll leave you with this, Matthew 19, verses 29 and 30. Christ says, and this is a verse that I hold particularly dear. Everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know what Christ says? He says, in my economy, if you forsake the worldly pleasures and the temporal pleasures and the riches of this world for my name's sake, he says, I got your back. And in the world to come, you'll get a hundredfold, man. Christ says, I will provide. If he says, there's nobody who's going to forsake this world's things and their and their comforts. If you forsake all of your stuff for me, he says, I've got you. And he says, you know what? In verse 30, many that are first shall be last. Talking about an eternity. Those that are first in this world. You you can look at, if you want to go home and read an example, Luke chapter 16, you have the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man sat at his decadent table and ate all of his rich foods as Lazarus sat and ate the crumbs and dogs came and licked his sores. The beggar, and you know what? The rich man, where was he in eternity? He was last. He was in hell. He didn't have a relationship with Christ. Lazarus, he was last in this life, but he was first in the life to come because he was in Abraham's bosom, soon to be heaven. Christ says, you know what? If you put yourself last willingly, now you'll be first in my economy. But if you live this life for yourself now, it's all you get. You get 60, 70, 80 years of living for yourself down here. But if you want to spend eternity with God, you willingly submit yourself and put yourself lower than others in your servant because that's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for us, right? That's the mind of a servant. It's to willingly place yourself last so get your mind right. Your actions will follow. So let's get our acts together as Christians. We gotta act like Christ. We need to act like servants. We need to think like cr- servants. But we need to act like servants, because that is how Christ is. And we've had different opportunities right now. We're doing something as simple as buying ramen noodles and and putting change in a thing out there that helps kids eat. That's simple. That's being a servant. That's giving of yourself to giving to others. We, uh, last week on Monday, we served at the Midvale Feast. There was a ton of you guys out there. It was awesome. We just took an evening and, and served other people food for Thanksgiving. It was great. Now, instead of making that an event that you do once a month, make it your lifestyle. Just constantly seeking to serve others instead of serving yourself or desiring everyone to serve you. Because, man, if you do that, you will stand out vastly From the world around you Because that's not how the world acts Let's pray God I come to you tonight I thank you for these kids Lord Lord I just uh, I just pray that we would fully grasp What it means To have the mind of Christ I just pray that we would understand That it means giving of ourself And sacrificing our own desires And our own wants To be like you You said in The Gospels, that the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You know, the world has all these decadent houses and beautiful things and temporary pleasures and riches, but Lord, to be a Christian means to willingly lay that down for you. It doesn't mean we have to force ourselves to be poor. It just means that we're willing to give it up for you because you're worth it. And so, Father, I pray that we would see, especially during this holiday season, I pray that we would seek to serve others and to, and to give to others and to use that, that service and that giving to share the gospel and to share the, the, your love, not just to make ourselves look good or feel good, but to truly share the love of Christ And to share the gospel Father if there's anyone in here Who doesn't understand all that Or doesn't, d- doesn't know what it means To have a relationship with you I just pray that they would talk to me afterward Or talk to the friend that brought them Or a counselor All they need to understand Is that they're a sinner Separated from you Because of their sin And that means that they're going to be Separated from you for, for eternity someday when Whenever they die Or if, when the rapture happens But they don't have to be That's what we talked about You sent your son And So that he could take our place on the cross. And Father, I just pray that they wouldn't leave this place tonight without knowing that they have a home in heaven with you. All they have to do is cry out to you and place their faith and trust in your son. And Father, they can do that right where they're at right now if they want to. But Lord, I pray with this last song that we're about to sing that you would just be glorified through it. And Lord, during this holiday season, as we are about to remember your first coming to this earth, I pray that we would just seek to glorify you in all that we do to serve others and to serve you. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.